Welcome to another episode of Unleashing the Future of Work, a guy live podcast, B2B jam session. I'm super excited because I'm talking to a future of work all-star, rock star, investor and operator, Mercedes Benz. You've definitely heard of her before if you're passionate about the future of work or you, if you even study this space. You know, she is someone that lives and breeds startups, and she's also a partner at one of the most popular investment firms in Silicon Valley, Lightspeed Venture Partners. And today we're going to be talking a little bit about her background, as well as her thoughts on the future of work, what she's noticing, how COVID-19 is affecting the landscape, and really how she got into doing the work that she does in private equity and VC. With that said, let's bring on Mercedes. Hey, Mercedes. Hey, thank you for having me. Thank you for being on. We truly appreciate you for being on. I would love for you to share a little bit about what's going on in your world. How are you handling things based on everything that's been going on in the world? Yeah, I mean, there, there's there been a lot going on recently. Um, I mean, I think there, the COVID stuff, I mean, for venture industry, we were all fairly lucky in terms of, I feel lucky that, you know, I have a job, I have my health. Honestly, those are the two most, uh, the health is the most important thing. So um, count my blessings there. And then, I mean, it's been interesting for our industry. A lot of the startups that we work with obviously had a really tough time going through, like losing a lot of revenue. Other ones took off. And so it's just been a really interesting time to work with founders and just realize how much stress and anxiety they have on them. So I try and think about like, what can I, how can I be making the founder's life a little bit easier right now? Um, and then, of course, with all of the racial protests and everything going on with George Floyd, I mean, I've been really astounded at the response and seeing how many people supported it this time around. I mean, for me, I remember in years past feeling like, are people not watching the same videos I'm watching in like 2015, 2016? Like, where is the public outcry? And so this time feels really different in a way that I hope is sustainable. I hope this doesn't end up being like a quick little flash in the pan. I hope this becomes lasting change. Yeah, an actual movement and transformation that we see. You know, I would love for you to, and, and you kind of really just touched on on a convergence of things that are happening that are affecting everyone. But I would love for you to touch a little bit about what got you passionate about working with entrepreneurs. How did you get into the, the work that you do now? Because you have such an illustrious background. So please share it with us. Yeah, well, you're, you speak really kindly <laughs> of me. I'd say that, you know, working with founders and being in venture is really a combination of my prior life experiences. I worked in finance for some time. I also worked in startup operations. I was uh, at VC-backed startups for about six years, and I was uh, worked in kind of corporate finance for two to three years. And this VC is kind of a mesh of both of those, you know, it's like that the operating side, but also you take a step back and look at things from more of a 50,000 foot view. So that's kind of just like the, the brainy part on like, okay, that, you know, you can write this story and make sense on paper. Um, really the real story in terms of like why I felt passionate about being in venture capital is First off, I didn't know what venture capital was until maybe five or six years ago when I'd been working for over a decade. So, you know, I I recently learned what it was um, relatively recently. Didn't hear grow up hearing about it. Although I did have parents who were involved in tech companies. Um, we lived in Durham, North Carolina, in the Research Triangle. My dad worked at IBM. 
um, you know, I didn't really know what this Silicon Valley VC world was about. And so learning more about it over time, realizing, I mean, I remember my CEO at General Assembly sat me down and it kind of was explained to me, like, this is the cost of capital that it takes businesses. And like, there is a cost to the capital that you're required to grow. And this is what it means in terms of what you have to return money and all of these things. And I was just like, wow, there's a world here I don't understand. But then looking around me and seeing how many, you know, business people there were that were trying really hard to start businesses and they didn't necessarily have the knowledge or the insight or the access to be able to understand like there's this big world of venture out there. And, you know, what I realized is I saw a lot of white guys were out there being able to have the access and networks and nothing to the credit to discredit them, but they just were born into those communities. And a lot of people I was seeing in marginalized communities didn't have the same information and access. And so I was like, okay, if I want to change this, I could become a founder and be part of the change. And I, or I could become a VC and help also be part of the change. And so I realized I was like, I need to become a VC. I need to explore this and make sure we get more dollars into underrepresented founders' hands. Yeah. So is that when you went back to school at Stanford and, and kind of got your MBA or is this after that and you, you kind of, you know, learned on your own feet? I started thinking about venture at while I was in my in grad school. I got my MBA and also master's in education. And I started thinking about, you know, I honestly, when I went into my master's program, I was like, I'm going to become a start. I'm going to continue to be a startup operator coming out of this. But when I was there, that's when I realized I was like, oh, there are all these VC firms on Sand Hill Road right down the street from Stanford. Like I could be talking to them and I do have things to talk to them about. I've been in I've worked in ed tech. I've worked in VR, AR. I've mm -hmm. worked in finance. I can talk about fintech like there's different things. And I think that was a big unlock was realizing that everyone has sectors and areas where they know something about and that's all applicable to venture you know there's not one background that makes for a vc so i was like let me try it yeah yeah and i think you know what's 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 happening is that you're actually also challenging and breaking the mold because a lot of people early on in their careers don't see vc as a career path because there's so much of a lack of information around it. And the, the reality is that whether you wanna be an entrepreneur or you wanna be a venture capitalist, it's really, you need the financial literacy. You need to understand how money works, how markets work, the ecosystem effect of how money works. And that is a critical piece of information that people in underrepresented communities don't have. You know, I want, yeah, and I want you to share a little bit more about, so, cause you've done a lot of projects too, in terms of building community with people and underrepresented um, communities. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's always been a super important part. I think, you know, as black people, a lot of us grew up with that phrase, your parents tells you tell you about, you have to, you know, work twice as hard to be seen as half as good. And that has always been in the back of my mind. And, you know, basically the all of the advantages and blessings I've had in life, I think I've been very, very privileged in life. And I always think about like, how can I pay those forward? And I thought about it at pretty much every organization I've worked at. Um, when I was uh, at Goldman, I was part of the Black ERG, the Black kind of um, employee group, worked on different projects there. When I was at General Assembly Education School, I helped start an initiative called the Opportunity Fund, 
which is was a scholarship, still is, it actually turned into the social impact arm of GA today, but it was our first kind of philanthropic effort to provide scholarships for people to come into our full-time coding program and so that they could go on to become software engineers. We had a really interesting design. I wrote a whole blog post about the design of this program where we worked with corporations to help them identify what types of diversity they wanted to fund. So disability, ethnic, um, veteran status, LGBTQ, all of this. And then they helped put those people through our program. And then afterwards we said, hey, we've given you free scholarship to the class. Now you pay it forward and you work with the underrepresented charity with the charity that focuses on underrepresented groups to lend your free software skills. And so it was kind of like this, um, I, I called it like exponential impact program where everyone we brought in, we were kind of compounding on it. Um, so that was a really great program, ran for many years, is still running today at General Assembly. That was launched, uh, I launched that in 2014. And then, you know, at organizations after that, I work with a nonprofit, I'm on the board of Birthright Africa, something I became really passionate about a few years ago. Um, three, I think I first started working with the organization a year or two ago after I planned my own kind of uh black birthright trip to West Africa. I went to Ghana, I went to Nigeria, because for me, I thought it was really important. And you have a YouTube video about this too as well. Yeah, yeah, there's a YouTube video about this. And I think for me, you know, there's a lot of, pro of issues we can focus on and solve in the world. And I get it, this is one small slice of the, of the puzzle. But I think for many black Americans, that sense of heritage and the sense of knowing where you come from can be really important. And so I kind of view this as a heritage-based leadership development program. It's focused on youth. It helps them have that sense and grounding of confidence, which all the research shows that if you have a better understanding of your heritage and where you come from, it leads to higher academic pursuit, leads to higher uh, self-esteem, so many great benefits. So that's another organization I'm really involved with. And then at Lightspeed, now that I'm here, you can kind of see this is a pattern through different organizations I've gone through. At Lightspeed, I um, recently took over leading the Scout program, which is our uh, kind of fund within a fund that's focused on basically finding, working with uh, people who have strong founder networks to find really early stage deals. And this year we decided to make it um, a really diverse Scout fund. We're taking 40 folks from underrepresented groups, Black, Latinx, Indigenous, indigenous Pacific Islander and giving them money to invest in startups that they are familiar with in their community. Wow, and this is at the at the C stage, pre-seed stage? That's it, this is very early, yeah. Pre-seed, yeah. seed, like kind of that friends and family around, which for a lot of like, as we know, underrepresented founders, there is no friends and family money, <laughs> you know? So this is kind of a scout fund is one way to provide another source for that. That's life changing. You know, it's I think it's it's truly a, a testament to you've definitely changed a lot of lives. I mean, just with where you're at in your career. I want to ask you, what are some of the problems you think entrepreneurs can solve right now, given everything that's going on? So many. Um, I'm trying to invest in a lot of the areas where I think founders can be, uh, you know, solving some really important societal issues. So I'm focused on consumer investing, ed tech slash future of work, uh, fintech and property tech. 
So kind of those four areas um, that I, as my current focus, you know, I have many focuses over time, but those four areas I think are really important and from the perspective of property tech, okay, we all know that we have a huge housing shortage and housing crisis in America. It's unaffordable. People can't live near their jobs. People are commuting, uh, you know, they call them super commuters that commute two hours away just to be able to afford the house they want to live in and work their job as a teacher or a bus driver or whatnot. So that's one really important area. Second area in terms of fintech, we all know financial inclusion is not universal right now, whether we talk about America or emerging markets. And so that's another area where I hope that I can invest in more kind of solutions, small dollar loans, um, thinking about lending solutions, innovative underwriting practices that can get more hands in people in a non-predatory way. Um, and then the third area, I mean, ed tech future of work, like this is a field I've loved forever. <laughs> and, you know, I think especially with the huge unemployment we're seeing in society right now, we have over 30 million people unemployed. This is more important than ever. Mm. And we, um, we need solutions around vertical, like vertical job marketplaces, career mobility to get people back to work. Yeah, no, no. So who, who are some of your, in 100%, I think the, there's, uh, it's just the future of work when I think about the, the different solutions that can come out um, in the next two to three years, it's just ripe with opportunity. And I think it should be exciting because a lot of people right now are disappointed, they're scared, but I think that we're going to see a lot of innovation within the next two to three years due to COVID-19 and the fact that this is like a pressure cooker moment challenging everyone to think about innovative solutions. A great example is the masks. Like masks are going through the roof now, well-designed masks, like therapeutic masks. And you could just imagine all the innovation that suppliers are creating around just something that goes on your face. I hope that we see the same in software <laughs> is what I'm hoping on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. I mean, when you, you saw a couple, I don't know if you saw this thing a couple of weeks ago where they were talking about what e-commerce categories have gained the most and lost the most during COVID. And I mean, the top category growth, it, it was so many interesting things, of course, like disinfectant and hand mask and that type of things. But there, it, there's a lot of businesses really growing right now. Yeah. In, in that category. That's crazy. Yeah. So Mercedes, I would love for you to share with us, you know, tell us a little bit about who have been some of the people that have inspired you in your career thus far to, you know, be the, the leader that you are. Yeah, that's a great question. I always think about, you know, there's the people from afar and then there's the people a little bit more close to home that you, uh, you know, work with. I've been, I've been lucky to be very inspired by bosses of course, family, you know, there's there's always your parents who are like pushing you. And I, I kind of go on and on and on about like how much my parents have done for me. But speaking specifically from a business context too, um, there's two bosses I've had who really, I think, believed in me and given me that extra push and benefited the doubt that, you know, I, if I didn't have that, I don't think I would be here today. I mean, one is the one of the people who hired me here at Lightspeed, um, Jeremy Liu. He's fantastic investor, fantastic person, so humble and really focuses, has been focused heavily on increasing diversity and venture capital. I mean, some of the strides that we've made as a firm in terms of just increasing the number of women investors, um, we're doing better on increasing the racial minority investors he's been really behind. And I think that, you know, one of the things that first attracted me to even join Lightspeed was 
kind of some of the things he had said publicly about his beliefs and statements. He was, he's a consumer investor. He was the first session to Snapchat. And he said, you know, um, the when I look at consumer investing, I know that if a company has a large percentage of black and women and Latino and underrepresented people as their core audience base, like that's a great sign. Those folks drive culture and those are culture carriers. And so that's when I get really excited about an investment and know that it has potential to take off. And I was like, wait, this is like, people are just talking about this. <laughs> like VCs that have, have and know this. So I thought it was kind of amazing. And I was like, I got to meet this guy. I got to work for him. Um, and actually when I first interviewed with Lightspeed, I um, pitched a number of companies, tech companies, multicultural consumer companies. Um, I actually pitched a hair weave product, believe it or not, as one of my like first three or four investments. And for me, it was important to be like, look, I told you, Mark, you guys, like multicultural consumer products is something I care about. I'm not going to be shy about like wanting to invest in these things. And, you know, this is what a product looks like. I have, I'm guessing that there's not going to be a ton of familiarity about some of the problems and issues in the community that why this is a really exciting startup. But like, let's talk through it. And, you know, anytime you're interviewing, it's a two way interviewing street. So I thought that that was a really great thing. And so I've been inspired since, you know, the whole time working from his understanding, acceptance of culture, of racial minorities, of tension towards diversity has just been like fantastic. So I could go on and on, but that's um, one person that I've really admired. That's powerful. That's so powerful. And I think, you know, there's, it's about time that one VCs companies realize the the opportunity when it comes to whether it be in consumer and reaching a multicultural audience. But the fact that, you know, we have private equity leaders like Jeremy talking about, look, <laughs> black people, black and brown people drive culture. It just is a testament to like the reality of it. We've known yeah. that, you know, if you're a person of color, but now I think a lot of, a lot of people in the business world are starting to realize that, which is a positive. Yeah, exactly. You know, Mercedes, I want to ask you, you know, so you kind of shared a little bit about your background and who has inspired you to do all of these amazing things. What would be two to three kind of recommendations or books that you would recommend our guide community to follow up on to really kind of catch up with what's going on in the VC world or even how to build a business? Ooh, interesting. Books on how to build a business or the VC world. Um, there's a bookshelf in this other room over here that's like full of startup <laughs> books. I'm trying to think through my my favorite ones. I actually would say um, maybe not books themselves to start with. So when I was trying to get into venture or take sorry, get into startups uh, eight or nine years ago, I was working in finance and I was knocking on everyone's door and being like, "Please talk to me about your startup jobs." No one wanted to give me a startup job. And I, you know, I was like, I'm qualified. I can learn anyway. Um, that I think I started realizing is like, I need to be able to speak the language. I need to understand what they're talking about. What's product development? What's product management? What are his customer, you know, segmenting and customer acquisition, yeah. <laughs> and all of these things. And so I, um, actually read a lot of blogs. I read a lot of blogs of VCs. I read TechCrunch like crazy. I tried to read every single article that came out on TechCrunch every day. I read, um, at the time, the VCs that I was reading were 
um, folks like Paul Graham um, and Fred Wilson's ABC and Mark Suster's both sides of the table. Today, there's a lot more investors blogging and there's even more people you can read. And tweeting as well. And tweeting, yes. Today, also, you can see a, there's a ton on Twitter that you can learn. I actually didn't use that at the time, even though I had a Twitter. Um, but it's a great way you can learn about it. And and so going through all of those, you start to like understand the psyche and the psychology and the mental models with which these people and startups in VC and tech are approaching it. I think that's it's it's like a cultural you know, acclimation process that you have to understand what do the words mean and like, what do they value in something that seems unique and cool and different? And why does, you know, a business not seem interesting to them? And it takes years and years and years to kind of soak that all in. And I, you know, I would recommend any founder or person just looking to get into tech, you know, business person, whatever, to try and do a ton of that reading because it'll start, you'll start to get it. It it takes time though. (laughs) Uh, No, it definitely takes time. And I think, you know, but I think a lot of the work that you've done in the past is closing that gap. Right. And, you know, even for me personally in, in learning about product and getting into the work that we're even doing with guide, it's, it's a learning process and, you know, we're incredibly obsessed with learning at guide. And I think the, the opportunity I think for the next generation is how are we equipping people to take control of their own learning, which is something that we're really passionate about when we think about the future of work, but also realizing there's all different types of avenues and ways that people learn. Right. So if it's not Twitter, you know, maybe it's blogs for you or maybe it's guide for some and, or maybe it's just conversations, right? But it does take time. And I think that the powerful thing is too, is that you can do it. Um, I think uh, there's this huge disparity, you know, me going, me, me being someone that grew up in the hood. Like, I think there's always this huge disparity gap. A lot of people coming from the hood or coming from, you know, underrepresented communities, they don't think they can be the next um, CEO or the next product manager. Cause often what you see in your face is, I could be the next ball player, or I could be the next rock star athlete, right? But but there is actually not that big of a gap between the business world and you know, growing up in the hood, selling candy out of your <laughs> out of like your your school bus, right? Like there's 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 ways you can bridge the gap. Um, and so I think uh, listening to you talk about uh, how you learned and kind of acculturated and got into the process, I think it's really really powerful. Yeah, it's. It's not rocket science, you know, and I think that a lot of um, it, it's, I think there's a misconception to sometimes, and I think sometimes like Silicon Valley and really smart schools like to think, to put on, it's like, oh, it's very mathy, it's very engineering, it's very science. And yes, that's true for some types of companies, but there's a lot of companies out there that have made a lot of money that were not deeply technical solutions. You know, they were let's apply some basic tech to an industry that has not had a lot of tech in it. That's where a ton of the disruption has been. Uber, Airbnb, like those are not deeply, deeply technical solutions. So I think it's a huge, you know, disservice that's done to folks when they think that that is the mental, the what's needed. And the more you can get out of it, you know, the better. Man, powerful, powerful. Mercedes, what's next? I mean, thank you so much for coming on our live guide podcast. You know, what's next for Mercedes? What are some of the things that you're working on in terms of maybe future of work companies that you're looking at or projects that you're really excited about um, in the future? 
Well, I'm super excited about our scout program, which is um, we we didn't announce it per se. We put it on our website, and I mean, within two weeks, had 300. 50 nearly people reach out saying that they wanted to scout for us, all diverse, underrepresented groups. And that was like amazing. I I keep saying there's no pipeline problem in VC. There's not. (laughs) And this is what that really proves. So I'm super excited to get that project launched. Um, I mean, we've had the scout fund for a number of years, but to kick off this new cohort. And I mean, after that, I mean, some of the other things I'm doing, I'm working on um, exploring a bit more of our our going into LATAM and Africa for uh, Lightspeed. We haven't invested in those continents yet, and I think we totally should be. And so I'm also spending a lot of time there. I mean, between those two things, like it's it's everything, but education as well. Like we're in such a fundamentally different type of education environment than we've ever been in before. I mean, the parent as a big buyer in K through 12 was like not really a thing in America before. Sure. In some other countries, but before you wouldn't say like, yeah, Americans will spend like five, 10% of discretionary income on their education. Never. They're still not spending quite that much, but they've really opened up the pocketbook and like billions and billions of spend has been unlocked. So I'm super excited to see what new types of education and K through 12, or if we talk about the crazy stuff going on in higher education right now, like where this whole debate we're in is, is our campus is going to be open in the fall. What's going to happen with international students. Are we all going to be learning on zoom forever? Like we all know that's not going to. So, you know, what solutions that founders create to solve these problems? Like that's what I can't wait to see. That is thrilling. Shout out to you, Mercedes. Awesome stuff. With that said, thank you so much, Mercedes. Where can our amazing guy community connect with you, follow you to learn more about the amazing work that you're leading? Yes. Shout out all the socials. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm on Twitter, uh, Merce Bent, like M-E-R-C-E-B-E-N-T. And also my email is on the website for our company. So if you just go to lsvp.com, there's a little email um, you know, thing. That's the best way to reach me. A lot of folks reach out on LinkedIn. I'm so sorry. I can't respond to all the LinkedIn messages, <laughs> but uh, you can find my email. So email me. Love it. Thank you so much, Mercedes, for coming on to this episode of Unleashing the Future of Work, a guide live by podcast. It's truly been an honor speaking with you, and we can't wait to see all of the amazing things you continue to do. With that said, thank you so much for the people who are tuning in and watching this episode. Much love to you, and please make sure you connect with Mercedes. All right. With that said, peace, love, and abundance. Talk to you soon.